Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Isaac Madsen. Isaac is a soil scientist and native of the Northwest. He currently serves as the extension agronomist for the Washington Oilseed Cropping Systems Project at WSU. He has been involved in research on soil health, plant-root-soil interactions, soil fertility, and alternative crops. His current research focuses on stand establishment and winter survival in canola, as well as alternative cropping practices such as legume oilseed intercropping and integrated livestock and dual-purpose cropping systems. Hello, Isaac. Hello, Drew. So how is the 2020 canola season shaping up this year? So the, the 2020 canola year is looking very, very good. Um, as far as yields for spring canola, no numbers are in yet. But for winter canola, we are getting yield numbers in. I think probably the first fields that I, I heard being cut were probably th about three weeks ago. Um, so anywhere from 2,500 pounds up to 3,000 pounds. And then your anomalies above that, there are definitely fields and parts of fields that are going for 3,500 pounds. And I'm sure you could find a small plot, you know, that would go for 4,000 4, pounds. But um, that's a pretty good yield. That's good to hear about. And, you know, I've been talking to growers who are saying, hey, this is this is making me the same money that wheat is making me. So okay. in Washington, that's not every year you get to hear that. Yeah, I was wondering how, because we had a um, a rather dry start to the season, yet we had those really nice May-June rains, and then we've been fairly cool. So all of that should have boded, boded well for canola yields, I would think. Yeah, I think those those May-June cooler, um, cooler weather there really helped us have flowering. So we got nice long flowering. You know, sometimes our flowering gets hit by the heat right. and you abort all those flowers and you, you can really take a, heat, a hit on yield. The one thing that did happen some is those late frosts. Uh, when I was out scouting fields, you would find aborted pods and, and they would be at the same sort of height along. So it was frost events most likely coming in and actually causing the pods to abort at certain points. Okay, so. and that would be in winter canola? Did the spring canola uh, experience frost, or are they that much later that they didn't yeah, see so that? The, the, um, I think I saw it on the winter canola, it was in the pods, and then spring canola, we had some warm weather at the start of March, and a lot of people got really excited, including myself, and planted at the start of March, and then we got some freezes, and that caused some really bad stands. We actually had one trial. We were very tempted to terminate it because the stand looks so poor, and we decided to wait a few weeks. And now it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too excited, but spring canola, and I'm betting it's around eighteen, you know, eighteen hundred pounds. So there's, there's, don't canola can look bad sometimes, and then come out of it. Is I guess what I'm saying. I guess I've been really impressed because you can see some really poor stands, but once. Once it starts to um, really grow and bolt, it really compensates for those poor stands. Yeah. Uh, does really quite well. I'm, I've been really impressed with the crop because I've I've seen a number of fields. I thought 
that's that's going nowhere and then yeah. you look at it a few weeks later and it looks really good yeah I, I always use that analogy of, of the kid that just looks really really wimpy in middle school and then his high school is the jock for some reason there's <laughs> you know they, they, get, they hit that growth spurt and they just go so so what were some of the more common questions you got this year about canola or oil seeds in general yes so I always get questions about varieties you know what varieties should people look at planting and there's a whole host of things we can we can cover there um, insects were actually, I would say that was the abnormality this year, a lot more insect questions than normal. And I think that might have something to do with, it's maybe a bit milder of a winter. And so maybe some more insects survived than normal. What, what are insects are we talking about? So, so one that I'd never heard of, of being such a problem that it needed an application was a blister beetle actually. Okay. So, which is kind of funny there. Usually they just cause little small pockets of damage and they're, they can be a problem in alfalfa, um, but not really in, in canola so much. They're a problem in alfalfa because the hay quality is bad because it blisters the horse's mouth. So that's okay. why it's called a blister beetle. But they eat a lot. Um, and usually they're just in these little colonies that don't cause a lot of damage. But there was at least one and I think two fields this year um, where they got going like crazy in the canola and actually started eating it down. And they'll actually eat the flower head right off. Um, so right. I have some pictures of that happening, which was something I, I hadn't heard about. So that was new, a new pest to me. Um, and then some flea beetles in the fall and then um, and some in the spring and then seed pod weevils. We had, a, we had some fields that saw some pretty severe seed pod weevil um, yeah. infestations. So. Okay, well... You, we, you mentioned uh, varieties. What were some of the winter and spring varieties that uh, you think are performing well? Yeah, so, um, you know, canola has had some time now to adapt to the Northwest. I think if you go back 20 years, it was pretty new and there weren't very well adapted varieties. So one thing to think about with variety selection is you always have to think about what herbicide packages you're going to use and what's been on the field, you know, so that right. carryover can be a massive problem. Um and then you got to think if you want to go for the GMO or the, the non-GMO marketing. And so that can be another difference. So, for instance, um, in winter canola, you know, it's mostly non-GMO. Um, and can you explain for our listeners why you want, what, what the difference is between growing a GMO and a non-GMO? Yeah, so the, the non-GMO uh, goes to a different market, actually. And I was just talking to Daniel Stenbach, and, who works for Viterra. So you can, the price of that can be anywhere from a dollar to a dollar 30 more than um, the price of, of non-GMO. So that can really add up. And talking to Daniel, he said that they've really seen the demand for that go up. Um, one of the issues with, with the non-GMO is they have to crush it over the course of a year and they don't really have anywhere to store it. So if you are thinking that you're going to direct, direct haul non-GMO at harvest, at least get it contracted, get it set, or have some alternative storage plan. So so what, what what's more popular? Are GMOs more popular than non or the other way yeah. around? So non-GMO is more popular, I would say, in the winter canolas. I, I Once in a while, I'll run into a GMO winter canola field, but mostly um, the spring canolas that are, are GMO. And it really has to do with the herbicide resistance traits. Okay. I was just going to say, and GMO stands for yeah. uh, genetically <laughs> modified organism. So, and, and what are the traits? It's Roundup Ready and is um, Liberty Link, is that a GMO? Yes. So, and those are the two? Yep. So Roundup Ready, which is 
by far the the most widespread trait, um, and then Liberty Link, which is um, glufosinate. Okay. Um, and so th- those are handy for weed control, and that's why you see it in the spring canola. Is that spring canola out here further to the east, where your wheat yields are very good, and winter canola isn't so easy. Um, you do it's basically fitting in there for weed control, Italian okay. rye, and yeah, these no, things. Yeah, it's a big that, tool for Italian ryegrass here in the in the Palouse area. Yeah, and so I think that's why we're seeing that that way is we're we're seeing more Roundup Ready out out this way, um, and and then less as you go east, essentially. So I think if I had to break it down, you know, as I'll, you go west. Oh yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Central. So yeah, as you go west towards Central Washington. That's going to be the winter canola, and then as you go east, okay, and um, less GMO there and more yeah. GMO here. Yeah, exactly. In okay. So you're you're always I always like hearing your different uh, research projects going because you don't do your average research. You're kind of playing on the edge of things. I'm curious what's some of the more interesting research you have going on this year. Yeah. So. I, I think last time I was on, I, I talked in depth about Piola, and so I won't cover that. That's that's still one of the more interesting things. So, if, and Piola is yeah, it's a pea canola intercrop. And last time I was on the podcast, we talked about that right extensively. So I forget the episode, but if people want to learn more about that, they can go back yeah, and we can to we that. can link to that and put that in the show notes. Yes, awesome. Yeah, that that'd be great. Other innovative projects we're working on is this idea of early seeding winter canola and then doing something to control its growth. So one of the major issues with winter canola is you have to seed it into good moisture and you have to seed it shallow. And so if you're seeding into a fallow, you're kind of fighting this battle where the moisture line is is going down throughout the season, especially if it's chem fallow. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have to figure out a way to get the seeds to either come up a greater distance than they want to, or you're going to have to seed earlier. And the problem with seeding earlier is that if you seed early, the plant can get too big in the fall and it actually can lead to winter kill. Um, If the plant essentially gets too tall, it becomes more vulnerable. And so what we've been looking at is, okay, if we plant early, we know we get better stands in in that instance because Mm -hmm. we have better moisture. So what are sort of viable techniques then for controlling the growth of the plant? So we're looking at a, th- a few plant growth regulators. We have three trials out on that this year. So Ritzville, Davenport, and then sort of Endicott area um, with early seeded. So that would be mid-July seeded canola. So quite a bit earlier than say, I would say the typical dates are August, you know, right. late August maybe. So that's kind of an exciting thing I would say is those early um, seeding and then growth control and the growth control options we're looking at. So plant growth regulator, mowing, and then also grazing. And that grazing one is my personal, most, for me, it's the most interesting one because I always, from a soil health, health perspective, there's always this idea that if we integrated livestock back in, you know, we would be doing some increased nutrient cycling and, and bringing some increased bacteria into the system we don't have. Um, and so I've got a few places we've tried that and it is really variable. Sometimes it yields the same as non, um, non-grazed and then sometimes you see this massive hit. So I, I yielded a, or I, I harvested a plot out near Dusty and it was, I think seven or 800 pounds was that, you know, it was right in there for the average. Okay. So that doesn't make sense, um, from a canola perspective, be growing winter canola at seven or eight hundred pounds, but then other times we've got three thousand pound yields. 
So okay. you got the benefit of the forage yeah. and, and, and good yields on top of it. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be the people that adopt that are going to be cowboys who do a little bit of farming or, or, you know, some, you have to have both operations right there and together. Um, and we're also experimenting with mixing grasses into the canola when we plant it because canola on its own has a lot of protein. So it can be, um, really high value forage, but it lacks fiber essentially. And so that can cause digestive issues for the cattle. So we've, when we set up projects like this, we always make sure there's, you know, some pretty good roughage available of some sort. And one of the things that we started doing this year was seeding oats into it. And that actually improved the forage quality um, quite a bit, just having the oats in there. Okay. And that'd be a spring oat that would die out over the winter then? Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's some people actually who don't even do the cattle looking at oats as a nurse crop, um, similar to what you would do, I think, in alfalfa. Alfalfa, yeah. yeah so it used to be a, a, a way of uh, fighting weeds in alfalfa when yeah. you first established it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the thought is you're going to put a grassy herbicide on anyhow. So if you have any oats that escape for whatever reason, the winter should get them. But if, if they don't, you just you know, go in there with Assure or Clethidum. Okay. You should be fine. Well, interesting. We'll have to keep uh, an eye on, on how that does. Um, if if growers are interested in learning about uh, how your studies go, is there a place they can go to find out about? Do you place reports on your website? or? Yeah, so we, we try and keep um, the Facebook page somewhat up to date, and that's um, Washington Oilseeds. I forget the exact, U- the exact um, URL on it. And then it's similar for... Um, our website, which is oilseeds.wsu.edu. Okay. And we'll put, we'll get that address and yeah. make sure we put it on your Facebook page and yeah. your website and put it on the show notes. We've, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, canola, but this is the oil seeds project. What, yeah. what other oil seeds are you working with and which ones do you think maybe show the greatest promise for Eastern Washington? Yep. So I think fla- flax and sunflowers are two that have been around on small acreage and I think they would actually do very well in the, the area. We're actually going to try and get some acres of winter flax out this year just to see if it survives the winter. Okay. Um, but I think those are really, you know, the, what's lacking there, we, I think we can grow those well. It's the markets and the supply chains. So I know that Global Harvest, a company up out of Spokane that does birdseed, is I think the main market for sunflowers right now, which – Coming from Nebraska, as you know, the bird seed market is kind of the low end. Yeah, it's the low uh, end. It's, that's the low value yeah. <laughs> um, sunflower seeds. Infections, the high oils, the middle, and bird seed is <laughs> where you send the seed that doesn't meet the oil or the confection requirements. Yeah. yeah, so I think that would be the thing to look into with sunflowers is if we can make some higher quality and then if a supply chain could actually develop to take care of that because that was – when, so when I worked with Shepherd's Grain, we were doing a lot of sort of alternative crop development, but you really have to have some way to handle that. Um, and the the system in eastern Washington is, is not set up to handle these um, specialty crops so much. So you, you have to think about where it's going to go afterwards. I know in, in western Nebraska, the first few years we worked with sunflowers, you had to truck, truck them up to uh, North Dakota, which at a 20 20- 28 pounds a bushel was expensive trucking. And then uh, late in the 90s, I think Bob Dole, who was a senator from Kansas at that time, got some money to convert a sugar beet factory into an oil seed crushing plant in Goodland, Kansas. 
and that's when sunflowers took off in the in the Great Plains because you needed that infrastructure there to to handle it. Until you have it, it can be difficult. Yeah. I, I had a grower tell me once, he said, he said, I can grow anything out here. It's if you can sell it for me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> All right. So um, sunflower and flax. Well, and you mentioned winter flax. Where's, where's that being grown? I've not heard of winter flax yeah. before. So I, I don't know much about it, that much about it either. But um, a, a contact of mine out of Kentucky has okay. his hands on some. Okay. so. Interesting. I'll be interested to see how that goes. Um, sounds like it was a good year, 2020, for canola. Yep. And we'll hope 2021 is similarly uh, strong. It's it's nice to have that rotational flexibility. As a, as a weed scientist, I like to see it under rotations because it helps us fight uh, different weeds. So uh, keep up the good work and keep uh, getting canola spread. Yep. Thanks for your time, Isaac. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.